Welcome to Uncomfortable Is Okay, where we explore the science, the stories, and the strategies of getting out of your comfort zone, navigating challenge, and doing the hard things that make life worth living. I'm your host, Chris Desmond. Uncomfortable Is Okay is brought to you by Health Mentors. Health Mentors is a performance well-being company that helps change makers dial in their health and improve their performance in the middle of a chaotic world. We offer one-on-one health mentoring services, as well as a range of workshops and workplace solutions, all the way up to supporting organizations with their well-being strategy. You can find out more at healthmentors.nz or get in contact with Chris at healthmentors.nz. Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me today for this webinar, Self-Compassion as a Performance skill set. Basically... What I'd like to do today is just try and see if we can get a little bit better at navigating the discomfort that is associated with being human and and living life. Because I, I really think if we can get better at navigating that discomfort, if we can be kind to ourselves through that period, then it allows us to live a more meaningful life. So what we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about why we need self-compassion. We're going to talk about how self-compassion relates to performance. And we're going to talk about a framework for deploying self-compassion that hopefully makes you a more effective person, makes you a, a person who is more effective at life. And I think that hopefully the ideas that we're going to share today are a little bit different to what I sometimes see as the, the kind of main, the main themes of how society treats dealing with discomfort. It's either the kind of keep your chin up, think positive, let's, let's just push on. Sometimes it is toughen up, let's get through this, go as hard as you can. Or sometimes it's, oh no, you're feeling uncomfortable. Something must be terribly wrong. You better stop everything that you're doing until that feeling goes away. So hopefully this creates a different pathway for us for dealing with discomfort for navigating challenge and being kind to ourselves through that. Some of you guys on the call know me, which is fantastic. Others, I haven't had the pleasure of meeting in person yet or or meeting virtually yet. So who am I? My background clinically is as a physiotherapist. I've worked in the healthcare sector of New Zealand for about 15 years both in the the public healthcare system and the private healthcare system. And I've spent some time running healthcare teams as well. Earlier this year, I got a bit fed up with being the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. So I've stepped out on my own into my own business called Health Mentors, which is, is really all about trying to help improve performance through health and wellbeing for teams and for individuals. I'm the host of the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast, which is a, a mental well-being slash mental performance podcast where I get to, to talk with awesome people about how they've gone about navigating challenges. And we've just racked up over 300 published episodes, which is super exciting for me. And self-compassion and dealing with discomfort is a, it's a topic that is reasonably close to my heart. It's something that I guess through my twenties, I wasn't particularly good at. To give you a bit of context, I was born in New Zealand in 1983 and like many Kiwi males born around that time and earlier, I had a relatively 
narrow emotional range, I guess you could say, that I wasn't very good at understanding my emotions. I wasn't very good at identifying my emotions, which was problematic in some ways in that it, it created a lot of inner turmoil within me. And I guess things came to a head probably about eight years ago or so um, when I was just walking through our house, walking into the hallway. And all of a sudden I felt this tightness in my chest. And I was like, what is going on here? And then my heart rate started to elevate and I started to get these tingles down my arm. And I thought to myself, I was like, thankfully I'm, I was reasonably health literate. I was like, holy shit, I'm having a panic attack here. And I was home by myself and I just kind of backed up against the wall and slid down the wall and, and curled up into a little bit of a ball and was able to breathe through it. And thankfully it passed in a couple of minutes, but it left me feeling reasonably shaken and reasonably, reasonably overwhelmed. And I was having a conversation with a, with a friend who was a counselor actually a couple of days later. And we were talking about it and I said, oh, this, is, this was kind of weird. And he pointed out all of the things that had led up to that point, including running away from a lot of emotions that I was feeling at that time. This was just a casual chat. This wasn't a therapy session in any way, but all of a sudden it kind of opened my eyes up to, to seeing, hey, I need to start working on myself and I need to start developing the skill set a little bit more effectively so that, I, that this doesn't happen to me again. But what I want to talk about to, to what I want to start talking about today is just to uh, share a, an old Buddhist parable with you. And don't worry, this isn't going to get too spiritual, but it's the parable of the second arrow. So the Buddhists say that anytime we suffer a, misfor a misfortune, two arrows fly our way. So the, the first arrow is the unfortunate event that happens. And this unfortunate event, this arrow flies at us, it hits us. Often that hurts, it causes some pain. And as well as that first arrow coming at us, we have a second arrow that hits us as well. And that's our emotional response to that event. And depending on our reaction to that second arrow, that second arrow can create a lot more pain on top of what the first arrows already caused us. And life is, life's really interesting. I mean, it, it's really hard to avoid unfortunate events, no matter how hard you try. So that first arrow is going to hit us on a relatively frequent basis. I know that from, from my experience that uh, unfortunate things are happening all the time to me. Some of them are big, some of them are small. That's, that's just kind of the way that life is. Life is a, it's a contact sport. So things happen to us. And that first arrow, that unfortunate event is always followed by a second arrow that hits us and creates another reaction and creates some more pain. And so self-compassion that we're going to talk about today, it's not about it avoiding that second arrow. So it's not about the kind of, to use another Buddhist phrase, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. We're always going to get hit by that second arrow. We're, we're not going to be able to avoid it. We're always going to have a reaction to an event, but it's about getting better at dealing with our reaction to that second arrow, that self-compassion self is really, really helpful 
with. So if we think about the first arrow and we think about like, what are, what are some things that creates this first arrow that creates this, this uncomfortable event for us? It can be big things. It can be things like global pandemics, illness, injury, loss of a loved one, moving house, changing jobs, like big things that go on in our world that create that first arrow of pain. And these aren't always necessarily bad things. Sometimes they can be positive, but they do often come with a, a, a sense of pain as well. Like changing jobs can be a real positive, but there's a painful response to leaving your old job as well. And so these big things happen, but sometimes this event that, that triggers the first arrow and then the second arrow can be a little bit smaller as well. So it could be just a passing comment by someone. Hopefully I don't offend anyone talking today. Hopefully I don't create any first arrows for you guys. It could be when you get cut off in traffic. It could be when your coffee order is wrong. And I think there's probably a lot of people here on this webinar are high performers. And so we set reasonably high expectations for ourselves. And so when we don't live up to our own expectations, often that creates that first arrow, it creates that, that pain associated with not living up to our expectations. So that first arrow hits us and it creates an emotional response in us. And typically this emotional response is uncomfortable for us. And as I mentioned before, I was running a, a webinar a couple of days ago about creating an individualized health plan and I did it and it went okay. And I was, I was like, okay, that was, that was all right. And then I finished it up. And as soon as I finished, I was like, oh, I could have done that better. Like here are all the things that I could have done better with that. And that was the first arrow hitting me. And then the second arrow hit me. And it left me feeling really hollow. I was like, oh, I could have done this better. I could have done that better. I really should have done this. And if I'd done that, then maybe people would have liked it more. Maybe people would have wanted to have a chat afterwards. And I got really wrapped up in it and started to ruminate on it for a couple of hours. And it left me feeling, it left me feeling really hollow. And it really left me kind of really ineffective to do anything else that I had planned to do that day because I was just all wrapped up in my head and wrapped up in this emotion. And I thought, bloody hell, I'm running a webinar on self-compassion in two days time. I've got to, I've got to sort this out. So that's, that's kind of painting a little bit of a picture of some of the times or something that it looks like in real life. And if we think about this, these arrows from a human body systems perspective. So this event happens, it creates a first arrow. The second arrow is our emotional response to it. And that uncomfortable emotion often sets off our, our threat response system in our bodies. And I don't really, I don't want to go real deep on this, the science behind it. So to kind of keep it high level, that threat response system creates a chain of neurological, so nervous system, hormonal and behavioral reactions in our bodies that lead us to wanting to protect ourselves. 
to, to tightening up, to tensing up, to, to trying to stay safe, essentially. And this happens, this happens automatically to us. This isn't a conscious process that triggers this emotion and it triggers these, these bodily reactions that we have. And a thousand years ago, from an evolutionary perspective, this was really, really helpful because when we felt threatened, often there was a physical threat around us that we needed to ensure that we, we took care of or that we stayed away from. Probably even 100 or 200 years ago, again, this was, this was a helpful response. The time that we live in now, for most of us, this isn't always a beneficial response. It's still helpful if we're walking down a dark alley and we feel really dodgy. But if someone says a comment in passing and it creates this reaction in us, it isn't the most effective way for our bodies to respond to this. Why is that not? All right. Cool. Sorry, that was a, a bit of a slow slide change there. So our, our threat response, as we've said, it, it's, it's problematic because now we're not really using it to run away from danger or to fight danger or to kind of submit and play dead. So danger just ignores us and walks on our way, on its way. Instead, what we're doing with it is we're we're internalizing this threat response and we're, we're turning it in on ourselves. And you've probably heard of the, the fight or flight response. And this is kind of another way of, of describing the threat response. See you later, Susan. Thanks for the message. We, we internalize this response, this fight or flight, and there's also other aspects to it, freeze and, and submit as well. And so what this looks like, these responses, when we turn them on ourselves is when we're fighting, we beat ourselves up emotionally. We use cruel language to cut ourselves down. So it's that little bastard that sits on your shoulder and chirps away in your ear saying, you're not good enough. Uh, you're a bit shit. This is never going to work. I don't think you have the chops to pull this off. You should probably let someone else do this instead. There's the flight response as well. When we start to become anxious and restless, we start to run away from ourselves and, and numb out using distractions like food or alcohol. And this was, this was my typical response probably through my 20s. And I think talking to a, a bunch of other Kiwis, especially Kiwi males, this is a relatively, this is a relatively common response that people have. We also have the, the freeze response. So we get stuck in rumination. We think about our perceived inadequacies over and over and over again, which was what I was rolling on Tuesday when I was just ruminating about all of the things that I could have done better in that webinar that I ran then. And then the final aspect of the threat response and how that turns on ourselves is, is when we submit that we admit that, yeah, we are terrible. We're terrible people, we're pretty shit, and we just accept all of the harsh judgments that we throw at ourselves. And when we get to that stage, that, that's really unfortunate because our world starts to shrink. And when we accept that we're, that we're terrible, 
we start to we start to get scared of trying. We start to get scared of kind of stepping out of our comfort zone and having a go at something or having a go in a, at an opportunity that we believe may just reinforce all of this this negative self talk about ourselves. So how does this affect our well being? You can imagine it's probably reasonably reasonably deleterious. We've got all this inner turmoil that's going on for us, which is really draining of our energy. It often leads us to make unhealthy choices. It often leads us to make unsafe choices, especially if we're in that freeze response and we're, we're numbing ourselves with, with alcohol, with drugs, with gambling, with sex. It increases our difficulty or increases the difficulty of managing our mental well-being as well. Like if you've got that person on your shoulder chirping away, telling you how terrible you are, it's really hard to, to have good mental health. It decreases our self-confidence. It reduces our fulfillment in life. And, and really, I think it, it encourages us to lead a small life, as we talked about before, is when we start to submit to this inner turmoil and this negative self-talk, our life starts to get a lot smaller. And unfortunately, when we have this response, when we create these particular responses and we turn our threat system internally on ourselves, we actually get better at creating that particular response for ourselves. So we're more likely to do it again next time because we're strengthening the neural pathway that performs that action. And eventually, if we leave it to progress and we just do it over and over and over again without intervening, it becomes an automatic response for us. And that's when it's really hard to get out of. And so it's, it's like bicep curls for your brain with beating yourself up, unfortunately. And a way that I, I often describe this to people is if you think about your dominant hand, whether you're right-handed or left-handed, and I'm assuming that you brush your teeth with your dominant hand. So Everyone, if, you, if it's not too weird, do it where you are at the moment. Pretend you're holding a toothbrush in your dominant hand. Start brushing your teeth. It just kind of feels automatic to you. All right. Now, I want you to swap the toothbrush over into your other hand, into your non-dominant hand. And I want you to pretend that you're brushing your teeth with that hand. And if you're anything like me, it feels really, really strange to do that which is kind of if you stop and think about what's going on there you have all the same muscles in your non-dominant hand than you do in your dominant hand you have the same for the most part unless you've had an injury you have the same functional capacity but you have to concentrate so hard brushing your teeth with your non-dominant hand compared to almost doing it without thinking with your dominant hand. And that's because you've just been training that neural pathway down that one side to do this action and perform this action over and over again. And it starts to become automatic. And unfortunately, if we keep, if we keep turning our threat response internally on ourselves, that starts to become automatic as well. And as I said, like it, the, the reason that it's really problematic is 
is that it encourages us to lead a small life and lead a small life in regards to relationships with loved ones, small in regards to getting out into our communities and, and being a part of our communities and small in regards to vocational opportunities that we might want to pursue. Really, it, I think it reduces our capacity for life if we're turning this threat response on ourselves. And I'm sorry that I've, I've probably painted quite a bleak picture here. And hopefully you guys listening aren't saying, oh, this is just me to a T. Hopefully you're saying, oh yeah, that makes sense. I can see myself in some parts of this, but I think the, I really think one of the best antidotes to turning this threat response on us internally is our ability to deploy self-compassion to ourselves. And the ability that self-compassion has for us to lead a bigger life, to lead a more meaningful life, to perform better. And I really, I, I think self-compassion, like it's the ultimate performance skill because it helps us get the biggest barrier that we have to our own performance in life. And that is usually ourselves. And whether that's, whether that be because we're paralyzed with fear and we're, when we're terrified to move forward, we're terrified to go and pursue a different opportunity or whether that be because we're trapped in our reaction to something that's already happened and we're bogged down in our emotional response. I think self-compassion is really beneficial for both of those aspects. So we're going to talk now about, about self-compassion as an antidote. So I want you to, I want you to just be aware of when you're noticing that second arrow hitting you, when you're noticing, Hey, I'm having that emotional reaction to an event. I want you to give yourself some self-compassion. And this is a, this give framework is a framework that I I've actually borrowed from Dr. Laura Rock, who's a, a critical care physician at Beth Israel Deakness Medical Center in Boston and an assistant professor at Harvard Medical School. And I first came across it, across it in a, in a BMJ blog. So the British Medical Journal blog, and it's, it was on empathy and healthcare practice and how as healthcare providers, we can get better at interacting with people empathically. And the title of the blog is Donuts Feelings with Facts. And I think I saw there's a couple of, there were a couple of people that signed up who were healthcare providers. And if that's something that interests you, I definitely recommend you go and, and check that out. And I started using this framework with healthcare providers just to, to see, hey, can we, can we get us interacting with a little bit more empathy? And I, I, it was really effective. And then a couple of months into it, I thought, oh, wow, actually, can I turn this on myself? Can I see what happens if I use this framework when I recognize an emotion in myself? Uh, and lo and behold, it worked. So credit goes to Dr. Laura Rock for this. And we're going to work through that framework now. So the G in the GIVE framework stands for get that you're having an emotional reaction. You are a human being. Human beings have emotions. 
And these emotions trigger in us automatically. So an event, whether it be a big external event, a small external event, or even an internal event, some thought that just flashes through you that sparks a cascade of, of bodily responses in yourself has triggered an emotion in you. And so to go back to, to the webinar that I ran a couple of days ago, not hitting that webinar and not presenting it the way that I would have liked to created that emotional reaction in myself. It created that, that hollow feeling that I sat and ruminated with for a couple of hours and was really ineffective as a person. And so I want you to, I'm going to stop for a second. I'm going to have a mouthful of water and I want you just to have a ponder for 30 seconds. Think about the last time you felt uncomfortable. And once you've started to, to kind of bring that memory back, I want you to look at it a little bit more closely and just ask yourself, was that the result of an emotional reaction to an event? Hopefully, you notice that it wasn't the emotional reaction to an event because the second step in this framework is to identify the emotion. And Dan Siegel has a great quote that says, if you can name it, you can tame it. So research shows us that when people are able to label the uncomfortable emotion that they're experiencing, it actually dampens down our body's threat response system. So they've done fMRI studies, so functional magnetic resonance imaging studies of the brain when they create an emotional response in someone and then that person identifies it. And they've seen that it actually reduces amygdala activation, which is, is part of the body's threat response system. And other research actually suggests that having greater emotional clarity about one's uncomfortable feelings can help reduce the physiological manifestations of this emotion in them. So gaining clarity, what that really means, it's, it's about increasing our emotional range. And as I mentioned, as a male child of the 1980s in, in New Zealand, growing up, my emotional range was relatively narrow. It was relatively poor. It wasn't particularly emotionally literate. And then I think as you, as you grow up and as you are a, a kid in high school, I think the, the acceptable emotions for a, for a high school kid to high school male to feel in the 1990s was happy, angry, hungry, tired, and horny. And those were the five that you could, that you could have, which is really unfortunate. Because I look at my four-year-old now, I look at my son, Connor, who has great emotional range and has great emotional understanding. And he'll come up and tell me and say, dad, I feel a little bit frustrated. And I'm always doing things to frustrate Connor. So I hear that one relatively frequently, but it's really cool to see his emotional understanding and his emotional range as a four-year-old. It was better than my emotional range as a 14-year-old. It's definitely better than my emotional range as a 24-year-old. 
probably on par with my emotional range as a 34 year old. So I'm, I'm working reasonably hard at the moment to try and stay one step ahead of him. So when we can identify the emotional response, it helps us to process it. And this is a, this is a fantastic tool that I use for expanding our emotional understanding. So expanding our emotional range and just kind of sitting here and looking at all of the different emotions and putting, putting labels on them. So when I'm, when I'm working with healthcare providers, actually, I suggest that they take this one, they blow it up to poster size and they put it on the wall of their room so that they can, they can talk with their patients about the emotions that come up for them while they're in the middle of a, of a huge health challenge. And I ran through a little bit of an exercise finding my own emotions post the webinar on Tuesday in preparation for this one, actually, but also in aid of expanding my emotional range. So I had this, I had this hollow feeling and I was like, oh, what, what is that? And as I looked closely, I noticed it wasn't just one emotion that I was experiencing with it. Firstly, I felt insecure about whether I'd done a good job or not, whether I'd provided value to these people that were shared their time with me. I also felt a little bit rejected because nowhere near as many people showed up to it as said they would. I felt a little bit frustrated at myself as well because I definitely, looking back on it, I definitely could have done better in my preparation for it so that I would have performed better on the day. And I also felt worried. I felt worried that I wasn't good enough to, to pull off working for myself if I delivered a performance like this in in what I perceived as a, a reasonably important presentation that I was giving. So all of those emotions rolled in together to give me this hollow feeling. It was only when I stopped to look and stopped to identify it that I started to, to know or started to understand what was going on. So again, we're, we're going to pause for 30 seconds. And I want you to think back to that emotional experience that was triggered by an event that we were talking about before. And I want you to try and identify the emotion that you were feeling at the, at the time, the emotion or the emotions. And if you want to share them, then that's cool. If you want to, if you don't want to, that's also fine. So if you want to pop off mute or, or drop them in the chat while I have a mouthful of water. Right. Hope anxious and overwhelmed. Thank you for sharing that, Wendy. So we've got that we're having an emotional reaction to an event. We've identified what that emotional reaction is. The third step of the give process is to validate your response. Because as we said before, you are human, you have emotions, experiencing an emotion is normal. Disillusioned. Oh, that is a, that's a great emotion, James. That's a great emotion, mate. Experiencing an emotion is normal and experiencing an emotion is automatic. So you can't avoid that second arrow hitting you. 
And the emotion that you have is formed as a result of your unique past experiences, your values, your beliefs, your life situation, your motivations, and a whole other contextual factors that are unique to you. And as such, the emotion that you experience is unique to you. No one else is going to experience this emotion the same way that you do. No one else is going to emotionally respond to an event exactly the same way that you do. And because of that, there are no right or wrong emotions that you should or should not be experiencing. So it runs like I'm having an emotional response. It is this. That's normal. And I get that this, this step seems maybe a little bit basic, but just understanding that your emotional response to an event automatically happens and it's normal and it's not wrong can be really, really powerful. So the other first three steps, get that you're having an emotional response, identify the emotion, validate that it's normal. And if these three steps are all that you do, then you're already going to start to be performing better at life because you've hopefully been a little bit more effective at processing the emotional response that you're having. Instead of getting wrapped up in it, you have said, I'm having an emotional response. Well, this is what it is. Well, that's a, that's a normal reaction for me to be having to this event. And you start to process that emotion. So you start, to, you start to deal with that second arrow a little bit more quickly than you would have otherwise. And hopefully you can get back to the important business of, of living your life in the here and now a little bit faster than staying stuck in that reaction to the second arrow. And so you can stop after those first three steps. But I think the real growth in your performance and the real, the real impact on your life is when you, when you take this final step, when you use the E in the framework. So exploring your response. Because I think to be better as a person and to live a, a more fulfilling and meaningful life, one of the key things for that is knowing yourself better. Because people who understand who they are and where they've come from, where they're going and how they work have a huge advantage when it comes to well-being and performance. Because as we start to build our self-awareness in this area, it creates more opportunities for us to act in ways that support our well-being, support our performance, support who we want to be. And we become more aware of the influences on our internal state. And we start to develop the skills to regulate, to mitigate, to manage those influences more effectively. And we can't always explore, um, explore our emotional reaction in the moment. Sometimes it happens and we've still got to make the kids breakfast. So we can't sit and get, get too deep into the exploratory phase right at that moment but often putting a pin in it and coming back to explore it a little bit later is, is really valuable. 
and there's lots of ways that you can that you can explore your emotional reaction. I think these are these are probably some helpful questions that you can ask yourself. They're not it's not an exhaustive list, but they're, they're a good starting point. And I'll send I'll send these around to everyone as well, so that you've got a copy of it afterwards. But thinking, what's triggered this feeling for me? What am I really concerned about here? Like, what's the what's the actual thing that's going on? And is that actually true? Are there potential other perspectives that I could view this inciting incident from? Could they also be true? And if so, might they be a more helpful way to look at it from? In the future, how could I proactively address this event? Is there a way that I could potentially lessen the impact on it, on me? And in future, how can I reactively address this? So if something does happen, how could I respond differently next time in a way that's a little bit more helpful for me? And whether you want to just sit down and think about the stuff, whether you want to sit down and write about it, whether you want to sit down and meditate on it, whether you want to go out for a run and just let your, your brain work away from it, they're all, they're all effective ways of doing it. And if anyone else has any questions that they, that they love to use to explore that response, please, please feel free to share them with us in the chat. But that's the give framework for developing self-compassion as a, as a performance skill. It doesn't require toxic positivity. It definitely means that you don't run away from your feelings you don't push them to the side you don't try and dampen them down but it's instead it's getting that you're having an emotional response it's identifying that emotion within yourself or emotions it's validating that whatever emotional reaction that you're having is perfectly normal for you and then it's exploring it and learning from it and growing as a person afterwards and that's where that's where the performance advantages really, really come in. Thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with us today. I always love these conversations. If you want to have a, hear a guest, if you want to have a topic explored, if you want to ask a question, please send an email to chris at healthmentors.nz uh, and we can get onto that for you. If you want to support the show, the best way that you can do that is subscribe on your favorite podcast app and make sure to share it out with some of your mates as well. Thank you to Health Mentors, the sponsor of the show today. If you want to improve your health and your performance in the middle of a chaotic world, make sure to check out healthmentors.nz or send an email to chris at healthmentors.nz for a no obligation chat. Thank you so much to my brother Jeremy Desmond for the amazing theme music to the show. And thank you to you guys for tuning in and listening all the way to the end. We'll see you all again next week.